recognizing that your, your life is finite means that today matters more. The people in the town around where this was being filmed heard that there was going to be a naked person on set, and a couple hundred people showed up with lawn chairs <laughs> and were sitting on the perimeter just to see a naked person. <laughs> I guess this was before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Cinemarter podcast. This is a podcast where we watch movies and then we try to discuss the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes in those movies. My name is Ryan and I am a maker and that's Nicola whining in the background. Hi Nicola, what are you doing? This is my puppy Nick. Um, and I'm joined today by my co-host, uh, Dr. Mike. Mike, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, my name is Mike Petro. Um, I'm here because I'm friends with Ryan, and he asked me to do this, and I thought it would be cool. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I do a bunch of stuff, and also I have degrees in psychology, religion, and mythology, which is probably why I'm here. That's and I'm true. joined by my cat, Albus, who's <laughs> uh, sleeping next to me, but waiting for an opportunity to leap on the keyboard and make noise, so maybe you'll that's, hear him before this is right. over. I'm sure Nicola is going to, normally I put him upstairs, but I forgot, so he's just going to hang out here. And uh, today we are, full disclosure, this is Mike and I's second attempt at recording this episode. Yeah. Because. And, uh, and technically the third time we've met online about it. <laughs> <laughs> More work goes into this dumb thing. Oh, my God. So anyway, we, we tried recording the other night, and it was an absolute failure because my computer, uh, my audio interface crashed, and I lost yeah. an hour's worth of yeah. recording. So here we are. We're starting well, over. And let's not forget, we were supposed to cord record yesterday morning, and we couldn't because you had a literal shitstorm to deal with. Because the septic tank at my rental property uh, decided to go haywire, and it was an all-day affair. Oh, my gosh. So it's and, been yeah, a week. <laughs> um, I'm super stoked to hear what you thought about it. So do you want to, you wanna like, real quick tag team a review of the plot of the movie? Yeah, did we even say yet what movie we watched? Night of the Living. Oh no, I, I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> Night it's of the Living Dead, the nineteen sixty-eight uh, George Romero, uh, black and white um, uh, zombie movie. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, let's just do a quick little recap first to get started here. So for those of you that haven't seen it, uh, like me, before this viewing, I had never seen it. Surprisingly, um, it's. Uh, it's your basic zombie movie, and we'll get into this later, but this kind of established a lot of the rules that that we've come to expect in zombie movies. Um, but the the basis is there's a it starts off with a brother and sister going to visit the grave of, I believe, their father. Um, while they're in the cemetery, um, there's a man coming towards them, um, and their brother the brother starts sort of uh, prodding and, and being silly with the sister saying, oh, he's coming to get you, Barbara. He's coming to best, get you. Best line in the movie. <laughs> it's great. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I love it. Yeah. Which, in the end, um, ends up being true. Uh, and it was yes. a zombie <laughs> who attacks them, uh, ends up killing the brother. The sister gets away. Barbara uh, gets away. Uh, a series of misfortunes happened. She eventually makes it her way to a farmhouse where she's met by the other main character of the movie, B 
Ben, right? Is that his name? Why am I drawing a blank on this? Ben, yeah, of course. I believe um, so. Yeah, Ben, sorry. I just drew a weird blank there. Um, ben, who tries, because she's sort of losing her mind a little bit. She's freaked out. She just watched her, her brother get eaten by a zombie. So she's freaking out a little bit. He tries to get her to come to her senses, but she's sort of kind of out, out of it, like the entire movie. Um, and he starts boarding the place up. They're trapped in this house. The zombies are coming to get them. Eventually, at a certain point, they find out that there's five more people that have that have uh, sequestered themselves to the basement of this house. Um, and then they start to decide, they start to argue amongst themselves whether they should hide in the basement, whether they should hide upstairs, whether they should leave. Um, and then the zombies keep coming. Eventually, it ends poorly for literally every single main character in this movie. Um, yeah. Whether they're taken out by zombies or uh, the main character, Ben, is mistaken for a zombie <laughs> and killed by a posse of people trying to uh, eradicate the zombie horde. And it and it is worth mentioning that he's a black man and he's shot by a posse of like white right lawmen who just assume he's a zombie and plug him. But right. we'll get into that. Yeah, totally. So I mean, that's the basis of the movie. Um, pretty straightforward. Uh, I'll say right off the bat that I really, really enjoyed this. It was great. I thought it was. Uh, I mean, it's very remit. Reminiscent of that time, right? Like it, it the, the the time it was shot has a particular feel, has yeah. a particular look. The way he shot this, uh, black and white, thirty five millimeter, I believe. Um, it, it black and white kind of ages better than some of the color stuff that's older, right? Like it 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 puts you in a particular mindset, and it, and it, you can sort of suspend a little bit more disbelief. I think sometimes, yeah. um, like some of my favorite uh, like television is the early. Twilight Zone stuff. Oh, yeah. And it has that same vibe, uh, you know, very similar look and feel um, where, you know, there's still that. Um, there, we talked about this last time where they're sort of, it, it feels as if they're sort of acting for the stage a little bit still. You yeah. know what I mean? They're, they, they're not quite acting for the cameras or, or sometimes they're just overacting a little bit or they're a little bit bigger than they need to be, you know? Um, but then just the look and the lighting and like all that stuff just has a very particular vibe that I absolutely love. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, um, so yeah, I had a, I had a series of questions I wanted to ask you about this since I was the one that suggested it. Yeah. And so we're kind of, um, into, uh, into the question, which is like, what did you love about it? Um, and I resonate with everything you said there. Like, I really like the black and white feel. Mm -hmm. I love black and white movies. I love old black and white sci-fi movies. And I totally agree. The black and white uh, setup hides a multitude of sins. It covers totally. a lot of the seams. It makes it really easy to get a good ethereal vibe. Yep. Um, I loved the setup at the beginning. The music is absolutely fantastic. Right. Yes. I don't know if you can... If we could edit a clip in or not, but the lead-in yeah, yeah, yeah. music is amazing. As they're driving into the cemetery, that eerie music is kicking in. Um, the title card is up there. And what's really great is there's this kind of in the periphery, you get these little snippets of radio broadcasts that are mm -hmm. the first indication that something weird is happening. Right. But you're kind of not 
paying attention to it. Right. I mean, we are as the audience because we know to look for it, but the main characters are not. Right. Um, really, really great. And then the whole the whole thing, the 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 feel of it being most of it takes place in a house. You're locked in. It's very low budget. It's very claustrophobic. And I think that works. Yep. It feels like a stage play. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, I mean, it is low budget. It almost feels like really good community theater at points, but it but it works, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I, I loved that a lot. I even, I you know, I love, um, even Hitchcock used to say this, and then you and I, I know, share this like very deep love for the X-Files. And Chris Carter, who was the creator and showrunner of the X-Files, used to say this as well, which is what you don't see is always scarier than totally. what you do see. And right. this movie makes such good use of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the craziest scene in the movie is when the main character describes a, 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 like kind of a, a, a crowd of zombies attacking a diner that he was in, if I remember correctly, it's something like that. And then there's a scene right. where there's like there's a truck, and the truck crashes into a gas station, and the gas station explodes. And it's crazy because in any other movie, they would have shot that scene, yes. and it would have been the single most right. memorable moment. But they don't have the money for that, so he just tells the other characters about it. And yeah. I actually think it's more effective in that way because it's so intense. Um, and it's the opposite of like, you know, it's tell, don't show as opposed to show, don't tell, but it just, it works, man. It works. So it's fun storytelling. Uh, those are a few of the things I love. Was there anything else you loved about it before we move on to the next question? Totally. Um, so again, the way it was shot. Great. I love, uh, the look and the feel of it. I love the fact that most of the movie is in one room. Um, of this house and it, it's like sort of like what you're talking about. It's, it's that claustrophobic feeling, right. That, that sort of like, um, brings you into that space. Um, and it really, I don't know, it just gives you like a particular vibe. Um, really love that. I felt like, uh, the actor that played Ben, what was his name? Um, Dwayne Jones. He's great. Oh my God. He's so good. Um, carries carries the dramatic uh, movement of the entire film on his shoulders. Totally, like he's so good. And again, like there was a, some like uh, the characters that were a little bit overacting. Like sure. I, th- I feel like Barbara overacts a little bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. Like you know, um, and so that took me out of it a little bit just because she was so big um, in some some of the scenes. Um, but but his acting was great. I loved his character. Um, I also like what was the oh Helen the the, the wife. Uh, from the basement. Oh yeah, she was great. And um, the, she the actually, wife, the young wife, or the wife, mother, wife. The the mother the the mother wife, the mother yeah. wife, the dark haired woman. She yes. um, she was like I think she, what did I read? She worked on makeups, makeup props, and she actually contributed to the editing of the screenplay for this. Oh wow, um, yeah. So she well, was like her, a major part of this movie. Yeah, um, and I thought she was the high great. degree of her talent definitely shines through in her performance. Yeah, no, she was great. Um, let's see, what else did I really love about this? I mean, um, I felt like it had a good... I, I was surprised by the pacing of it because we're used to, like, modern zombie movies. Yep. Um, 
or, or, or even like The Walking Dead. Let's talk about The Walking Dead, which we, sure. you know, religiously watched for many years, and I have not now seen the last, I don't even know, two, three seasons. <laughs> I, re- I remember the moment that I fell off. Like we were, we were all hanging out because we had a group of friends. We would get together. You were the the mastermind behind this. We would get together every Sunday night and watch it right. religiously. And I remember the first time I was like talking to some people, and I was like, I'm not watching this at all. Clearly, I don't care about this anymore. Yeah. But it took a couple seasons. I stayed hooked for a long time. Yeah, there was a dip there. I did come back. Like I, I, I did end up like watching them on Netflix then because I lost. I used to have a cable subscription. I don't anymore. But anyway, I, I fell off for a little while, and then it did like dip for a while. And there was a season, a few seasons ago, where it came back, and I felt like, oh, this is fun again. Um, yeah. But I have not kept up. But anyway, all yeah. that to say is the pacing of that. You know, it's our modern expectation of what like a. a is it an action? I guess it's action horror, right? Like, I don't even know. But it's it's fast-paced. Like, they're attacking zombies like crazy. They're fighting. Oh, yeah. They're shooting guns. There's axes and machetes. and But this is so, so much slower, you know? But it, it in my opinion, like, sort of heightens that tension a little bit. Sure. You know, you're sort of living in that tension the whole movie. Like, what's going to happen to these characters? Are they going to escape? Like, uh, which, again, which makes the ending of it it's simultaneously like tragic and like really surprising, right? Yeah. Like I, I did not yeah. expect that at all, honestly. Like I yeah, did not. Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, that's great because that leads into our next question, um, which I'm going to pause for a second and say it is really interesting to see the the trope set up. Um, and also, I, I pretty much judge zombie movies, and I'm not a connoisseur, but right. I, I put them in the category of like speed. Because you have the original, very slow-moving, kind of lumbering ghouls in this movie. Mm-hmm. Then you have post, I think, 28 Days Later, which is, by the way, brilliant. Mm-hmm. The first movie, if I remember correctly, you have, like, running zombies. And right. then you get, like, World War Z, where they're they're not even running. They're, like, super high-speed totally. zombies. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They're, like, Olympians. Like, yeah. full <laughs> it's, it's a little bit absurd. But, yeah, no, no. Uh, the tragedy of the ending is intense. And that leads to my next question, which is what surprised you about this the most? Yeah, that was it, man. That I did not expect that, honestly. I, I assumed he would get away and he would be the hero, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And when they just shot him and then just kind of... And what's kind of crazy about it is they shoot him and in their mind, and I'm, it makes sense, he's just another zombie, right? And they yep. just casually move along and they just keep yep. going. But we've yep. been attached to this main character the whole time that it, it yep. feels like so important, you know? But to them, it's just another zombie. It was That was very surprising. Also, I will say... Um, we can get back to that, but just before I lose my train of thought here, the other thing, speaking of the speed of zombies, that was a little bit surprising to me, was these zombies are slow at moving, Yeah. but compared to our modern understanding of what we come to expect in a zombie movie, I feel like they had a little bit more agency or a little bit more sure. awareness. Absolutely. Like, they understood sort of how to, like, how to get to the people they were trying to get, right? They, right. It felt as though they were a little bit more alive than dead. Um, yeah. and they could open doors and they could, um, keep like the, the one scene, they're sort of running after the truck, right. Or they're like, yeah. they're, and so, well, that was a little bit, scene, yeah. dude, in the first scene, the first guy who shows up at the cemetery and they don't get that he's undead yet. Right. They just think he's a random stranger who's attacking them. Uh, she locks herself in the car to get away. He tries to open the car door, and then he picks up a rock, a rock. and smashes That's right. the window. Totally. Right? That's it. So he's yes. like using tools. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was a little surprising to me to see that 
you know, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right or whatever. Well, it's just yeah. different. And it was a, it was a little bit surprising to me to see these and, zombies that have more agency. And so there's, there's two, two, uh, potential things I thought of with, with relation to that, which is, uh, one is still establishing the tropes, right? So yes. obviously after that, there was kind of a pushback where zombies became a little bit less intelligent. Mm-hmm. And then now if you want to do something different, you make them a little bit more intelligent. Right, right. But, but another possibility is if I remember correctly, you know, Romero does this movie, Night of the Living Dead. And then like a full decade later, he does the sequel, which is called, I think, Day of the, Day Dead, of the Dead and takes yeah. place mostly in a shopping mall in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. which let's come back to why a shopping mall is a perfect setting for a zombie <laughs> movie. Um, but but essentially, that that is a sequel. It's set in the same universe in the same outbreak. But it's just a little bit later on. That movie takes a little longer to play out. And I think what happens is in this movie, because the zombies are all like five minutes old, in this film, the very recently dead have resurrected. You don't have like half-decomposed corpses coming up out of the ground. And so I think the implication is that they're so recently dead, they still retain a little bit of intelligence. Gotcha. Which... As as it goes on and on, becomes less and less. But I might also just be pulling is, this completely and, and out of my ass. Do know. you know enough? Or is Day of the Dead? It's in the same time period. It's this like right after 100%. this movie. Okay. I don't. Th- I don't remember if it's right after or if it's uh, if it takes a while. But but essentially, they barricade themselves in a shopping mall and they're there for a minute. So mm-hmm. this movie takes place in less than twenty four hours. Right. That movie, at least is you know days weeks or months gotcha okay um but again uh, it's been a long time yeah 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 and and believe it or not you know zombie movies are not quite my thing um <laughs> although for some reason i feel like i know a little bit about them yeah yeah all right so anything else surprise you about this movie um let me think real quick not that i can think off the top of my head those were kind of the two things that really okay. uh, stood out to me all right um, uh next question what did you dislike what did I dislike, man? That's hard to say because like I really enjoyed this. I think honestly, I think because it was an older movie, yeah. You know, I my my I I sort of set my expectations in that realm, right? Like I was yeah. I was kind of expecting like there's going to be a little overacting. Also, I knew it was an independent film, so I knew the budget wasn't huge, right? So I kind of was yeah. I think I was in the right mindset to really enjoy this because I yeah. the whole time I was watching, I was like literally smiling. I was just like, "Oh, this is fun. Like this is a good like, you know, um, I'm trying to think what I didn't like about it. I have I have one yeah, go thing. For it. I, I mean, the thing that's crazy is I like so much more about this than I didn't like. One of the one of the areas, uh, more so than the special effects or anything else, the area that it felt the most dated for me always is like gender roles, right? Yeah. So yeah. so the like um you have I, I do think that the movie portrays shock and trauma well. So we have our kind of female antagonist who's the first character that we meet and she's kind of um, blitzed like the right. entire film. Totally. She's just in shock the entire movie. But it's still in that era where it's kind of like, well, you know what happens when a lady gets like this? You got to shake her. And right. I don't remember if there's a scene where he hits a her. man. Yes, exactly. It's like, I got to slap you back into reality. And it's just it 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 shows um, yeah. Whether that's done ironically or not is hard to say because there are so many um, 
of the kind of tensions of the moment that are actually purposely highlighted in the film. Mm. But it definitely, but you feel it is all I'm saying. And then there's that kind of like when the when the uh, it's revealed, there's like five people hiding in the basement, which is like two couples and a child. Right. And there is this kind of like. Um, I don't know. There's this like, well, the men are going to help and the ladies are going to hide in the basement. But the, <laughs> the, both women in the basement are so infinitely more capable and right. intelligent than either of them. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah. so all that to say, like, I, I wouldn't say that I hated it, but I definitely noticed it. Well, I read, um, um, speaking of the, when he hits her, I, I read that the original character, or the original um, in the script that character was supposed to be like a truck driver and he was supposed to be very um, very rough around the edges, right? Interesting. Uh, uh, kind of like an asshole. And um, Dwayne Jones was like, as a black man now in this period of time, I don't yeah. think it's going to be good for me to be shown as like a super aggressive asshole, right? Yeah. So he apparently rewrote a ton of the script to make him more intelligent and more, more calmed down. And when it came to that scene... I think I should have written this down, but I believe that what I read was he talked about that saying how he or, or Romero talked about it, how he sort of fought against Romero and didn't want to hit her, like yeah. knowing like how that could resonate. Um, and then later in life, Romero, I think, said, like, I really probably should have had him not hit her. You know? Well, and and, uh, and just to be clear for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the movie, and I do hope you've seen the movie because this will make a lot more sense, but he doesn't right. just randomly hit her. She's. Oh yeah, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. freaking out, and he slaps her to calm her down. P.S. Never okay. Yeah, not okay. <laughs> right. Um. Uh. More in keeping with the tropes of the age. That is interesting. I didn't know that about the the kind of rough around the edges truck driver treatment of the character. I'm really glad. You know, he's by far and away the most refined and intelligent character in the film. I mean, by leaps and bounds, more so than oh, everyone totally. else no, he's put great. together. Although. You know his his choices like don't work out great to a certain no. extent, uh, and and that's what makes it a tragedy. Right. But the fact you can't you can't overlook for the moment in time that it is the fact that he's a black man and the only black character in this entire story. Right. And then you also can't overlook how that fits into the evolution of the zombie genre. And mm. what I've never known, and we can talk about this if you want, but what I've yeah. never known is if this is something that Romero did on purpose or it just kind of worked out that way. But it, it is really, really significant. Yeah, um, I, because, I, go ahead. Sorry, what I was going to say was the, um, so f from what I read, I, I do feel like it's more of an accident. Um, okay. They had somebody else for the role and then this dude, uh, Dwayne Jones came in and uh, tried out for the part, and Romero apparently was just like blown away by his performance, and it was like, nope, never mind, we're gonna scrap that other idea, and we're gonna go with this dude. So I don't think it was like an on purpose, because the original uh, person that they had cast was a, a white dude, and interesting, he, yeah, and he came in and um, and he did such a good job that he allowed Romero like sort of said, yeah, like take it where you think it needs to go, and okay. um, and he rewrote well, a this... ton of the script. It's phenomenal. Okay, so then he gets credit. For the genius of this. It's interesting. So sometimes what happens in the in the world that I come from, there's a theory that like uh the stories that the culture needs evolve. Mm -hmm. And sometimes not even per the intention of the author. They just kind of come out of the collective unconscious at the moment yeah. that the culture needs them. And so one of the things that's really interesting 
and this is probably above my pay grade or yours, but it's worth mentioning, is that, um, you know, this was not a quote-unquote zombie movie Correct. when it came out because the word zombie is never used. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, if you heard the word zombie, it was referring to a very, very specific Haitian phenomena, which is something that you can read, you can do a ton of research about this. The actual history of what a zombie literally is is far more interesting Right. Than, than the genre of like dead bodies spontaneously coming back to life. Right. And that's, um, you have this thing where uh, in Haitian culture, someone who has kind of spiritual or medicinal power is able to zombify another person so that they, for all intents and purposes, appear to be in this half-dead state. Right. And I think sometimes they might even fake death, bury the person, and then dig the person up. Um and then they are at the behest of, of whoever is under control of them. So right. when you look at the original zombie movies, and there's old black and white zombie movies you can find before this one, there's films like uh, White Zombie. White Zombie. Right, yeah, where you have, essentially, you're in Haiti, you have one or two white characters who are the heroes, everyone else is Haitian, and you have some person who has, for example, zombified all the workers in a plantation. And so Mm. they are forced to work against their will as mindless slave labor. Right. And then, um, you know, there's one or two white protagonists who are, you know, having zany adventures in the midst of this and trying to get away from the evil witch doctor and the zombified hordes. But the, but the trope or the metaphor or the implication is clear. You have zombified slave labor. Right. Um, it's taking away people's agency and forcing them to work. And then where it gets really interesting is you have this movie, which is not intentionally a zombie movie, but you have all these undead hordes, uh, all white, coming back to life. You have one protagonist who's a black man. So instead of the all black cast with the one white protagonist, you invert the formula. Right. Um and this movie comes out, and initially, like I said, it wasn't a zombie movie, but what happened was there were some film critics who were writing about it, and they started referring to it as a zombie film. And so then Romero okay. starts using the term zombie when he does the sequel many, many years later. But okay. if you look at it in that timeline, which is not intentional, I know I'm just talking a whole lot here, but this is no, so no, fascinating no, no. to me. You have this trope that starts with zombies are black Haitian workers zombified forced to work right uh, with a white protagonist then the formula inverts itself and you have white zombies who are the undead horde and get right. where it gets really really interesting is that the Haitian zombies work mm. and what do the American zombies do they're just mindless they and they eat, they eat. Yeah, they consume. and they eat they consume they're consumers they're right, mindless right. <laughs> consumers so if you take it that way it could be so many different things it's right. it's a critique of of white supremacy it's a critique of exploitation it's a critique of mindless consumerism, consumerism and capitalism yeah. yeah and i mean probably probably uh above the pay grade of this podcast but really yeah, yeah, yeah. really no, interesting great. stuff yeah um and the and the the mindless consumer thing is yeah. legit, man. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. That's that's so no, absolutely that's captivating awesome. to me. Um, and it 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 is probably something that this movie contributed to by accident, yeah. but it, it absolutely cannot be overlooked. Mm, totally, that's awesome. Love that. And and you know who knows? Like Romero probably set out to like 
make a scary movie. And it is. It is a scary movie. Yeah, what's like, the... it's eerie um, as shit. What's the um, movie you and I always talk about where the ending was different? Um, Will Smith. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I Am Legend? Yeah. Well, okay, now, if I read this correctly, I believe Romero based his this movie off of the that book it's like the ideas they he sure. he he pulled from that for, to reference you know um the the themes not 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 how the movie plays out no. but well yeah and you may you may need to cut this later because i can i can nerd out very intensely on i am legend and i'll try not to but i am legend the story which is absolutely fantastic and everyone should read and it's not long it's a novella um it's a quick read has been adapted or has inspired so many different movies and no one not one time ever has actually committed to what the story actually is about or how it actually ends and it is fantastic do you know what the original ending of the actual story is hold on we've talked about sorry i was just looking this up but i'm uh loosely inspired by richard matheson's story i am legend absolutely okay so he loosely inspired by it yeah so what happens in i am legend is a virus sweeps the world and um it kills some people and the people that doesn't kill it turns into these kind of mindless uh creatures that run around in the dark and prey upon the living and Mm -hmm. essentially they're vampires right and so you have your protagonist who uh just like will smith in the movie because he was in the service and in that time was bit by a vampire bat somehow has an immunity to the virus and so what he does is he barricades himself in a home figures out how to survive and then during the day does his duty to like go out and and break into the homes where these kind of vampire creatures are sleeping during the day and he kills them, you know, one right. at a time. I don't remember yep. if he stakes them or what. So he's just going through meth- methodologically <laughs> uh, exterminating them, also to no avail because the virus has swept the world. And right. so at a certain point, he finds another woman survivor. They fall in love. And then massive spoilers for the story. I've told everyone to read it. So skip ahead if you, if you don't want to have it ruined for you, <laughs> but shenanigans ensue. He realizes that the, that this woman is not a survivor. She's actually one of the infected and that the infected have become intelligent again. Right. And so they catch him and they put him on trial and they're going to execute him. And as they're walking him away to be executed, he realizes that in this new world, he is the monster. Right. He is like the vampire of old who breaks into these people's homes yeah. when they're sleeping and <laughs> preys upon them. And so he's like, oh, my God, I am legend. I'm it's the brilliant. monster. It's brilliant. brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And nobody's um, ever done it right. No nobody's one's ever, ever done it because everyone's that. afraid to commit to an ending where the hero realizes he's the villain at the end. But it's this beautiful yeah. um, discussion of, you know, what is evil, uh intentions versus um actual results of our actions and like shadow am i am i the hero in my story but the villain in someone else's it's genius stuff and you know i think barely touched on in this maybe a teeny tiny bit with the ending where the hero also dies but it's the other living people who kill him right 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 again white people shoot a black man without question but right um No, that's great. We don't even have to get that deep to say like, and it's a scary movie, right? I mean, here's, did it scare you? What do you think? No, it didn't scare me at all. 
Okay. I, I, I didn't find it like terrifying. Like like we um, we didn't talk about it yet, but we talked about it last time we did. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't like horror movies generally speaking. Uh, yeah. Not a huge fan. I don't like especially gory ones, and I really don't like jump scare stuff. Yeah. Like that's just boring to me, and like I don't enjoy that ones. You know, one bit. Um, I do like, you know, like one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shining. Um, oh, my God. Which I would say that's more of like a suspense, right? That's not yeah. really necessarily eerie. horror. It's eerie, yeah. Um, but uh, but I enjoy this because it's not like super scary. Like, I don't know. Like, also, I may just be desensitized from all the other crazy zombie stuff that has come Seriously? out since. Seriously, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, th- I thought it was fun, certainly, but I wasn't scared. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I think, um, like I said, I liked it. I don't think, I, I would rather be creeped out than scared. I, right. I jump scares yeah. on the same way, do, do nothing for me. Gore, I think, is is boring and offensive. Um, right. But uh, but I do like things that are suspenseful, and I do like things that strike an eerie tone. And again, yeah. I think this movie, from from second one, strikes a super eerie tone. Mm-hmm. Um which which I want to talk about, but I also want to ask like my deep question for this, my big takeaway was, you know, why do we need scary movies? And I've been thinking about this yeah. since we recorded before watching it, and I was talking about how much I don't like scary movies. Mm-hmm. And I've gone some down some interesting rabbit holes. You know, been thinking about the X Files a lot. I've gone down a a Lovecraft rabbit hole since then. <laughs> just oh, thinking about the kind of yeah, yeah. Um and I know you said you've been been rewatching um, X Files episodes. So I, what I'd love to do, if it's cool with you, is take a few minutes and talk about uh, just scary things in general, mm. and kind of get around even the psychological and spiritual theme of why we want scary stories in our life. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about being scared. Here's a random question: What scared you when you were a kid? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> to this day, well, more so when I was a kid, um, not necessarily scared of the dark, but scared of dark places. So for instance, I had animals growing up, horses, yeah. I had a horse and I had goats. And, uh, one of my tasks was I had to go in the barn at night to feed the horse. Um, and it wasn't lit very well. Like I think there was one light bulb, like right when you walked into the barn and then yeah. down where I had to go. Um, you know, it was like dimly lit and it wasn't, it was just like the corners freaked me out because what's in the corners, yeah. right? Like what's in those excesses? Like what's, what's over there? And I would like literally run, like I would run down, scoop out the food, dump it in and run out, you know? And I would always have this like fear that there's something creepy in the corners, you know? Oh, that's um, so funny. Oh yeah. It, like that, like, but then, you know, like I wasn't really afraid of like monsters under my bed or anything like yeah. that, you know? But it was like... it was dark recesses, I guess is like sort of like what, what scared me, you know what I mean? Like what, what the unknown, like what's out there. That's Um, um... same, which is the sort of the same theme of the other thing I'm terrified of to this day sort of is deep water. Um, Oh yeah. And it's not that I'm afraid of like a shark necessarily. I'm just, so for instance, I get creeped out watching. I love watching it, but I get creeped out sometimes watching scuba diving stuff on video because i don't like the idea of not knowing like what's in that sunken ship or what's what's in that dark corner it's that it's that idea of unknowing uh which you know is probably just like an idea of like i don't have control over the situation and that's what freaks me out um but yeah so like i don't like the unknown 
Um, that's, that's sort of my like. So, yeah, so two things on that. I think it was Lovecraft. Uh, someone, there's some kind of, or maybe it's more ancient than that. There's some kind of mythological creature called the corner hound. And oh, they, wow. <laughs> they are a monster that basically can materialize anywhere, but they only can come out of corners. Oh, wow. So they can, <laughs> there has to be an angle essentially, and they can pop out of it. So like if you were in a round room, you'd be safe, but that's, that's so amazing. funny. Yeah, man, the fear of dark corners, that's gotta be a real thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Lovecraft's most famous quote is the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown, yeah. which I think is is why, um, yeah, deep water, man, also scary. You, you yeah. know, not to, not to put too fine of a point on it, but there are some people who say we know more about outer space than we know about the bottom of the ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but any big body of water, you know, it's yeah. like, what's what's in there? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. I just don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's And I've never had any bad experiences nothing, but... with water or anything like, you know, nothing. Well, I, I almost drowned one time, but um, <laughs> but that wasn't due to any like, un, unforeseen thing underwater. It was more uh, my stupidity when I was a kid. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, I just don't, I, to this day, like even going like to the beach, I love going to the beach. But if I, get a li- if I get a little too deep in the water, I start getting yeah. like that creepy, like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I when I was a kid, um, we used to go to the beach all the time. And uh, when I was like a, a little, like two, my one aunt was like lifting me over the waves, and yeah. she wasn't paying attention. And a big wave clocked her, mm. and knocked her on top of me and knocked me unconscious. So a lifeguard Ooh. had to pull us out of the water. And 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 Ooh. I just remember. Wa- I was like, maybe I might have a little bit older than two. I remember this though. I remember waking up and everyone was standing over me. One minute wow. we were playing, and the next minute. Everyone was standing over me. Some, I must have been older than two. Um, the moral of the story is I love water. I yeah. love being around water. I love the ocean. It's one of my favorite things. I lived on the ocean for a couple of years. I ran on the ocean every day. Yeah. I would go down and sit and watch the sun set into the ocean. I would watch yeah. the moon rise over the ocean. I got in the ocean twice in all okay. the years that I was in California. I, I don't. I love being around the water. Yeah. I don't love being in the water. Right, and I right. don't know if it's that old... Um, if it's that fear of the unknown or if it's like getting that one traumatic experience when I was a kid yeah. or what, right. but, <laughs> and, and I, and I kind of like being on, maybe that's why I like being on the threshold of the ocean is because it is all that like vast unknown, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, have fun surfing scuba. That's all great, but right. <laughs> not necessarily my jam. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like a cave, dark forest, like, oh, I'll get lost in that stuff forever. But yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah. Definitely creepy. So what, what, um, did you experiment with scary television or scary movies when you were growing up? Like, and let's say kid into like young adulthood. When, when I was like a, so like probably like an early teen, like 12, 13, maybe Garrett yeah. and I, Garrett, my, our, my good friend Garrett and I used to go down to the local, uh, video rental place and sure. we would rent horror movies at that time because that was the thing to do like you were oh, i guess supposed yeah. to, like you were supposed to made you cool or whatever you know sure. so i do remember like like movies like children of the corn um the people under the stairs um trying to think well that was when i got introduced to the shining i mean we watched that when we were like 12 or 13 oh yeah um and like to this same. day i still love that movie um same so there was a brief period of time where we got into like scary movies and stuff. And I think like even back then I was just like, eh, not really, not really my thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What about you? When, when, 
Um, you... this is funny. I I didn't really like. I knew these things existed. Um, I remember seeing commercials for the Night of the Living Dead movies or whatever the the millions of zombie spinoffs there were by the time I was a kid and then a teenager. I wasn't allowed, you know, because of the religious thing. We were mm. we were we shunned anything that was like dark, evil, or had magic as a part of it right. for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah. But that that you know to forbid a thing sometimes gives it more power. Yeah. So the <laughs> the like creepy factor was was that much more intriguing to me. And right. of course, you know. I grew up not just evangelical Christianity, but like Pentecostal evangelical. Yeah. So we did have a lot of room for like spirit and darkness in our cosmology. Right. So we kind of created our own. Um, I, here's the thing, man. I think the psyche needs scary stuff and you can take it away, but you'll just invent new stuff because you need it. Yeah. So um, so there was that. And same thing. I remember at the video store. Actually, I had <laughs> I had a uh, when I was in high school, a girlfriend who worked at a video store that was supposedly haunted so i had probably <laughs> the like the closest thing i've had to a haunting experience i actually had in a video store this is a true story so oh, go for it tell the story uh oh okay uh you can cut this if it's too long no she um i was uh she was super cute so i was when i was like initially courting her <laughs> i would go see her at work and so they would always talk about the the ghost in um in the video store and so the one night i was there and they would say well the ghost really likes uh so and so uh girlfriend at the time and so i was there the one night and they're like oh the ghost is acting up and they claimed a little girl haunted this video store so so i say well what do you mean and they go well she's she's back in the closet she keeps locking the door so i go back and and back then they would have a closet where you would it felt like a closet it was a tiny little room with the door that closed and that's where all the porn was Oh, okay. um, so that no yep. no one else would see it. And so um, also super creepy. Like, yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get it how creepy that is. But I basically went back to the porn room and um, and I went in and I was there by myself. And I was like, okay, ghost, if you want me to believe that you're real, what I want you to do is lock this door for me. So I then went out of the porn room. I didn't hang out in the porn room the whole time. And I made sure the door was unlocked and I set a chair directly in front of the door. Like, literally, okay. I'm not five feet from the door. And yeah. I sat for like five full minutes and stared at the door. Right, so when right. I say no one came in or out, I really mean it. Because literally, it was just me staring at this closed door. The poor customers must have thought I was nuts. Right. And um, But nobody went into the porn room. So um, maybe that was my, my activism against pornography for those five minutes. The moral <laughs> of the story is, when I got up... And tried the door, it was locked. Oh. So um, no one was inside. And, um, you know, and it was just one of those old, like, you'd have in your house, just a, a rocker on the doorknob right? that you would twist and lock. So I was like, well, that's weird. And so I kind of went and, and told my girlfriend the story. And she's like, yeah, that's the ghost. The ghost is very mischievous. She acts up. But if you asked her to show you that she, you're real, she's going to. So we, whatever, that was the end of the night. So... Everybody left. She locked up, um, put everything away, did the register, turned off all the televisions, turned off all the lights, armed the alarm. And as you know, you, 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 we had to get back into the doorway, arm the motion sensor um, alarm, and then it counted down. You had like 20 seconds. You had to leave the room, yeah. uh, lock it from the outside, and then it was fully secure. So we're standing there in the dark. The thing is counting down. 
we're opening the door to step outside and lock it from the outside so it's fully secure. And then one by one, like boop, 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 every one of the television monitors in the store turned themselves back on. It's one, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And here's the thing. We were the only people there. I was standing next to her. She didn't have a remote in her hand. So... (laughs) I don't know what it was, and and she just goes, oh, God, the ghost so annoying. We're going to have to go outside, wait for this thing to fully arm itself, wait a full five minutes, and then unlock and come back in and turn all this stuff off. <laughs> so we did. We had to get out, close it, wait for the thing to go through a cycle, because I guess that's how it worked back then, and then come back inside, find the remote control, and turn off all the televisions, and basically ask the ghost to stop being a dick so that we could go home. <laughs> um, I don't know. Not that scary, but that's it was weird. Story. I noticed it, you know, I was like, wow. So who knows, right? And I've had other kind of weird experiences, but that was fun. Um, And ironically enough, it was in that video store that I first experienced the X-Files, which then became kind of a lifelong passion. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was the first person to introduce me to it. And I was like, this is rad. Home was the first episode (laughs) she ever showed me, which is really terrifying. Like, could you imagine starting there? Legit terrifying. It's a great episode, but that's a wild one. Yeah. And and super gross. Season four, I think. Okay. Um, I think it's early on in season four where they find yeah. these kind of like crazy inbred um, That's a great people and they basically have to break into the house. So it's it's sort of like The Walking Dead in reverse, The Walking Dead. It's sort of like Night of the Living Dead in reverse. Instead of being in the house trying to keep people out, they're breaking in. Anyway, right. I digress. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. the X-Files. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that's the only other like horror type thing that has stuck with me from young young age. We got into the X Files, Garrett yeah. and I, really really young as well, um, and we were obsessed with it. You know, yeah, um, to this day. Um, well, and, and that's you not know, really I, horror again. That's you know monster movie yeah. episodes, but you know, but yeah, that's the thing, man. I don't think it's about horror. I, I think we need something that creeps us out or scares us a little bit or gets us on the edge of our seat there's there's something there and so that's my next question for you like why do you think we need or like scary creepy suspenseful um movies and 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 again it doesn't have to be slasher gory horror flicks because the thing is i don't like horror movies but they also don't scare me they bother me right right right, and i'm bothered by enough in the real world i don't need to be bothered by a film (laughs) but there is something about the like exhilaration of something scary well that's what i was going to say and i think when we did this the other day you had a little bit more to say but so i'll just say i do think there's something there where we enjoy whatever that rush is that we get yeah. From being scared cuz you know you look at we can even go to like why do we ride roller coasters? Good. It's it's yeah. that con- it's that controlled uh chaos, right? Like it feels mm, That's well said. It feels like we are on the verge of something really really bad and we yeah. sort of get to taste it. But yeah. we also know that we're safe, right? And so yeah. you know it's, it's for me like roller coasters I'm like I didn't ride roller coasters until I was like 18, you know, because yeah. I was so afraid of them. And to this day, I love roller coasters now. Same. But when I get on one, dude, it's like the first time for me every time. I'm yep. absolutely yep. terrified yep. going up that hill. And once I do the first one, then I'm like a little bit, you know, I'm better. But but I still love it, you know? And it's, oh, like, it's that on the edge of like chaos, but controlled that I think we enjoy for some reason. That's really intelligent. I, that's a really good observation. I think you're right. I think it is controlled chaos. It's 
it's wanting to feel out of control or in danger in an environment that's simultaneously safe. Right. Um, I had similar experience with roller coasters and I feel the same way. And I don't remember, were you with us? I remember putting my buddy Larry on a roller coaster for the first time when he was a teenager and he'd never okay. been on one. And we talked him into getting on Steel Force, which is a gigantic steel roller coaster in the in the area that Ryan and I are from in Dorney Park. And I remember he was so scared as they were like counting down to send them up the track. I remember he showed me his hands were dripping sweat. Like you could yeah. actually see it dripping oh off God. his hands. Um, and the funniest thing is they crawled all the way up to the first drop, which at that Don't point was like a stopped. record drop in the country and it broke. Oh. And then everyone had to get off the roller coaster and walk down the safety oh. rail. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine your first experience? Uh. But yeah, man, something about that makes a lot of sense. A way to feel danger. Yeah while also being safe and i and i yeah i think yeah i think you're right i think you're right and i think stories do that for us in a way that they give us especially like um i think this is true of of fantasy and science fiction especially which most most um of this is is it it puts something in a fantastical unreal scenario that allows us to feel afraid and mm-hmm. also allows us to kind of think about the thing that we're afraid of. Right. But in but in a way that's safe because it's not realistic. Right. Yes. So so I think I think anything that's scary, there's something real behind it. And 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 maybe an educative or useful thing in confronting it, right? Maybe this is why they, you know, used to read kids Grimm's fairy tales, which are Mm. terrifying if you read them mm. unedited right yeah mm-hmm. we used to give kids stories about witches eating children and chopping well, I mean, people's you, limbs off and crazy shit like that or even like the, the stories in the old testament right there's oh my god a, it's an angry god that is like really messing up stuff and and it would yeah. you know and you would be afraid of that right well <laughs> um, yeah yeah and 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 i think um it's so funny too because when we talk about Old Testament stuff, we tend to focus on the wrath. Right. More even than that, it's an emotional God. Like mm. it's a God who does get angry, but then also apologize for for getting angry, feels regret, right, uh, right. feels compassion. And it's very the kind of Western notion that a lot of Christian people land on with God. They wouldn't know the term divine impassibility which is a philosophical term theological term that says that god doesn't feel emotions but they're so invested in the notion of god knows everything god is all powerful Mm -hmm. um god is everywhere that you don't really have a lot of room for an intense emotional life in the divine yeah right Mm. and so you don't i don't know I, i i sometimes think those old testament stories are are more about helping us get into our own feelings mm and like if even god gets angry and sad mm-hmm. and says you know oh i i got angry at everyone and i had a flood and i destroyed the world and then after that i was like maybe that wasn't a good idea i don't think i'm going to do that again i regret doing that um or god gets angry and like creates humanity uh, chooses a specific people those people screw some things up and god's like i'm so mad i wish i hadn't even taken all you people out of egypt and then Moses is like, God, do you want to rethink that? And he's like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I'm going to tone it down a little bit. And I, and I don't think that's 
about making us afraid of God. I think it's about us thinking if even God or the gods have emotions, then then maybe so do we, and it's okay to mm. go to those places. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a, yeah, that's great. And you don't, I mean, God's never really afraid though, right? But you have this idea in the religion that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, um, which I think we tend to think of in a, in a kind of like a, a being traumatized and afraid of religion. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what mm. that's actually about. But yeah, all that to say, you're right, you're right, you're right. We get raised on scary stories, but I don't think we're taught what to do with them. Yeah. Except yeah. morally, like, you know, don't step out of line or God's going <laughs> right. to smack you down. Right. What's that thing that uh, Pete Holmes always says? It's something, I hope it's, Jesus it's, doesn't return when I'm masturbating. He does say yeah, that it's, a lot. it's something like that. It's like something about a joke about, like, I'm going to burn in hell forever because I jerked off or something like that. It's just like, a, yeah. I'm going to have to cut. But he, he says it very He's a comedian, so he knows what the yeah. hell he's doing. But yeah, yeah, and I, I think, um, I think we are we live in a culture that's very, very driven by fear. But mm-hmm. I don't think anyone teaches us what to do with fear anymore. Even right. like people talk about being triggered. Everyone's triggered all the time. I get triggered all the time. But when you're triggered, what's happening is something that you're experiencing in the present is tripping. A defense or a or a failsafe that was created by something that happened to you in the past. Right. So you're experiencing fear from the past in the present. Right. Um, that's how we function. I honestly believe that a a lot of our re- religious rituals, uh, even even kind of religious teaching about forgiveness, is really a way to help us deal with trauma and triggers and grieve old hurts so that we can continue to love mm. but yet you gotta face fear yeah i remember a while ago we were talking about something and, and you mentioned this idea of being triggered and you had said in our modern culture we've sort of got to the point where we recognize the triggering which is great but we've stopped there and haven't moved to the point where we use that trigger to teach us something and no. to, to, and, and we've sort of just said i'm triggered and that's bad, right? Whereas yeah. maybe we should be looking at it as, oh, I'm triggered. What does that tell me about the thing I'm experiencing right now? 100%. And so like triggers are tools when they're approached as teachers, right? Right. And so so again, now you don't, you, you can abuse that. That's a way yeah. to gaslight people is if they're like, you're hurting me. And you're like, well, this is really about you. What do you need to learn from this? Right, right, B- right. But on the flip side, absolutely. We need to approach them that way. Um and, and you can't think about triggers if you can't approach fear. Now, one of the things that's interesting, uh, you and I had a conversation recently about uh, grief and the stages of grief. Um, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross like wrote the book mm-hmm. on grieving, and she had the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, uh, bargaining, uh, depression or sadness, and then finally acceptance. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the show WandaVision recently, they go through all of those stages really, really well. But what's interesting is the, it's not even in the stages of grief, um, which she originally conceived of is what someone goes through when they know that they're going to die. Fear is not listed as one of the stages of grief. And in her later writing, she she added anxiety as one of the stages. So that that's where the fear comes in. But of course, like the sin quanon, the first thing you would experience if you are told, hey, you're going to die, is probably fear, fear right. of death. Yes. Um, but we're so afraid of fear <laughs> that we don't know how to talk about it. Right. Right? Right. 
<laughs> and and so I think one of the reasons this movie works so well is I, I think it does, and we might just lightly touch on this because I know otherwise we're going to go super long. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons movies like this work is because they do um, in a sneaky way or sometimes in a, in, a, in a very overt way address things that we're afraid of. Right. And so like that could be something fun we could kick around for a minute. Like what do you think this movie points out that we or or the culture in general are afraid of. Yeah, so I mean the <clears throat> obvious one is the the fear of death, right? Um For sure. which we've touched on a little bit before. Um and uh yeah, I think you know that's we grew up in a in in especially specifically in church where how can I word this? Like, you know, de- death was sort of the enemy, right? Like we yeah. were, we were fight. It was like the, the goal was to be saved, to get to heaven. Right. But death yeah. was sort of like this, I don't even know, like a, a, a little stepping stone. You just had to get over to get to the good sure. stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so we were we never really talked about it, never really kind of avoided it, you know? And I feel like because of that, you know, I've had tons of anxiety of uh, fear of death for most of my life, you know, because I never yep. really thought about it or, or, or confronted it. And also, I think just in our uh, Western culture, like we're, we're definitely a way more removed or and in our modern culture, we're way more removed from death than probably yep. we were a long time ago. Right. We don't yeah. see it as much. It's hidden from us more. Um, you know, maybe we see uh, a body when we go to a funeral, but even more and more people are being cremated. You know, it's uh, more common now, I think. Um, you know, I think even in our the food we eat, uh, if you're yeah. a meat eater, like we disassociate ourselves from from meat, and that's not right. even an animal anymore. It's just a thing called meat. Um, yeah. You know, so I think, yeah, we've, we've become so removed from it. I, I think it is very anxiety-inducing, you know, because Absolutely. we don't address it. And I think I'm grabbing a book off the shelf. So if it sounds like I'm moving, that's why. You're you're absolutely correct. You're spot on. Um, and a lot of people have written about this in the last century. There's uh, there's an author named Philippe Aris, who I, I really like, who's, um, I believe, a cultural historian. Um, and he wrote uh, several books, including one called Western Attitudes Towards Death from the Middle Ages to the Present. And basically what he talks about is that as a society, we become more and more removed from the reality of death. And he points out to every single thing you just identified. He's like, you know, once upon a time when someone was dying, they died in their own home. Typically the family was around them. If you grew up, chances are you saw one of your elderly relatives or even your parents, or maybe even a sibling die. You'd have been around their body. Like death was a part of life. Right. Death was a big part of the language of our religion. Mm-hmm. And 100% in Christianity, um, death is identified as the enemy. And so yeah. I have a friend who's a priest, and he always says, you know, when you're thinking about death, when you're dealing with a funeral, when you're doing that, you have to remember death is not a part of God's plan. Death is an enemy. It's a problem that needs to be solved. Mm. And <laughs> and that that is 100% a one way to look at it. And you have a lot of Christian theology on your side to, to argue that's the, the principal Christian approach. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes when, you know, when death is re- identified as an enemy, I, I think when you look at anything in any kind of like religious symbolism or teaching, it's always good to ask yourself if you are reading prescriptive or descriptive language. 
So if your religion tells you death is the enemy, is it telling you how things should be or is it informing you of how things are? And mm. so is, is death the great enemy of God's plan or is it telling you, hey, look at human existence. Um, we experience death as an enemy. Right. And then it initiates you into a bigger and a broader perspective. So I tend to fall in on the latter. Right. And I actually, even as a, as a kind of a, you know, the particular flavor of, of Christian that I am, I think that's actually substantiated in the, in the kind of ancient teachings and the text itself is it's that it's like, okay, let's, let's look at a bigger perspective perspective here, but 100%. Some people have argued that fear of death, death has driven human culture. Right? Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. And, and I think the absence of the thing promotes the fear of the thing. So I think the more removed we become from death and the less we think about it, the more afraid of it we are um, these days. Right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you don't see a thing, it, it's unknown, right? It's scarier. <laughs> yeah. The less we deal with something, like hiding death, trying not to think about it, being obsessed with youth and vitality, trying to have a body where you always look like you're 22, um, only yeah. really caring about what young people have to say, which are all hallmarks of kind of our our contemporary culture, um, doesn't help. Like it right. doesn't make you less afraid of death to ignore it. It actually increases the fear of it. And that's kind of why I think a movie like this is important, right? Because, like, what is what is it about? It's about all the recently dead that we've just said, you know, nowadays, you said this so well, like, people get old, we put them in a hospital. People get older, we put yeah. them in a nursing home. People right. die, we cremate them. Uh, we don't necessarily, you know, uh, view the body. That doesn't happen as much anymore. Yeah. And um, in this movie, what's happened is the recently dead – are refusing to be hidden. They're coming back to life, right? right. Even yeah. to the point that, like we said, there's one scene where there's just a random naked woman walking right. around. Right. <laughs> like, why the hell all of a sudden is there a woman who's naked head to toe? And I think you had told me it, the implication was that she just kind of got up off uh, yeah. an examining table somewhere yeah, in a yeah, coroner's office, right? Which, which, by the way, um, one little aside on that is I read on a trivia thing that the people in the town around where this was being filmed uh, heard, you know, because it was a small area, they heard that there was going to be a naked person on set. And Absolutely. apparently, like like a couple hundred people showed up with lawn chairs <laughs> and were sitting on the perimeter of this at night. You know, they filmed that scene at night oh, yeah. uh, just to see a naked person because <laughs> it was That's like so big funny. news of the day, you know? like <laughs> Oh, man, just all that to see a naked lady. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I guess this was time. before the internet. <laughs> yeah, a little bit before. <laughs> Well, it is, it is funny, man. It's this thing of, um, yeah, like is, uh, how do we approach the fear of death? Because towards whatever end, whether you, wherever you come down on the whole, like, should we approach death as an enemy or not? I think in the context of Christianity, there are so many different schools of thought that argue that you need to confront the reality of death to live a full life. Yeah. Right. And and so you have Christian and Buddhist monks who will meditate on death. And it's not morbid, right? Right. It's like recognizing that your your life is finite means yeah. that today matters more. Totally. Um, which I think is true. Yeah. I mean, I think if we can, that's the one, you know, I, again, I, I've dealt with uh, 
existential dread for a long time and sure. thinking about these things. And, you know, the older I get and the more I sort of actually try to wrestle with that stuff and like yeah. think about it, the more comfortable I'm becoming, you know, yeah. not to say that I'm super stoked on it, but it, like recognizing the reality of it gets you a little bit closer to being comfortable with it. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. I think it's a slow, long process, you know? Yeah, man. I don't think you're wrong. I it's funny. I um we we talked about this in the last episode like 12 years ago my mom and my brother died in the same year and I had had a bunch of I mean I wasn't a stranger to death at that point. I, you know, um yeah. I'd had relatives die. I had a friend die in high school. I had a classmate die when I was in 3rd grade and um but the reality of death became so um vibrant for me that I kind of just assumed, I don't know why, I just assumed I was next. Right. Uh, a bunch of people had died in short succession. My grandfather had died, and then and then my mentor and boss at work had died, and then, um, you know, a friend here and a friend there, and then my brother and then my mom, and then I was like, wow, this is just like, yeah, yeah, here yeah. it is. Um, and so the weird thing was I transitioned into this place where I was not afraid to die at all. Mm-hmm. I was just like, it'll happen when it happens, and I'm going to live my life each day as if it's my last which right. is a thing they say you should do. Right. And then and then it's been a decade now. And I and not that long ago, Ryan, like in the last year or two, I had a moment where I was like, well, <laughs> I've outlived my mom and my brother by 12 years and like yeah. I might actually live to be an old person. <laughs> and the irony, dude, is that the fear of life became more terrifying to me than the fear of death. Interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, and and it almost led me to wonder, like, I almost wonder if they're the same thing mm. um, in a weird way. Probably yeah. too deep for today, but it was really like, I was like, <laughs> God, do I got to really make a plan for the next 40 years? Yeah, it is a little terrifying. Um, <laughs> Especially when you've had a week like I've had this week. It's like, wait, uh, this, honest to this God, is just going to keep going on? Like, <laughs> It's just, um, you know, I talked to... to I remember my grandmother turned 91 and she was like <laughs> sharp as a razor to 91. And then at 91, she fell and maybe had a stroke. Mm. We never figured it out. Yeah. And like, and then it took about two years and she passed and her, and her mental acuity started to drop really fast. Right. And I remember we were hanging out one time and she's like telling me a story. My grandmother, always a great storyteller. And yeah. she's like, yeah, I was down in the place with the thing and this thing happened and this other thing happened. And then she's like, and then it was like, uh, you know, the thing, the thing. And she's like, can you believe this shit? 91 years old and I'm finally starting to lose words. I can't believe it. Um, And it was so hysterical to hear her kind of just reflect on the irony of going, I know that I'm starting to forget things. Right. Um, And yeah, man, her and a few other people, such a different thing where they've lived enough life and they've been through enough stuff. They're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Right. right. I'm good to go home or I'm good to go to sleep or I'm go good to be with your granddad or I'm just good to roll credits at this point. Right. And, and you and I younger tend to think of that as being defeated or morbid. I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure it is. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. You don't want to be fixing the septic for the rest of your life. No, I don't. <laughs> oh my God. J.R.R. Tolkien, when he, when he writes his books, um, he does this really fun thing. He he crafts all these different uh, elder races, like you have elves and and all kinds of angels and all kinds of crazy stuff in his cosmology. And then humans show up, and humans are mortal. They die, right? Mm-hmm. They only live so many years, and that's what makes them different. And so the, in the story, they refer to death as the doom of man, but mm-hmm. they make a point uh, to say 
somewhere in there that originally it was called the gift of man. Mm. And then eventually it became the doom of man. So when humans were originally created and they were mortal in his cosmology, um, it was a gift that they only had to live so many years before they moved <laughs> on to what was next. But wow. then they lost touch with that understanding and it became something that, that was experienced as a doom and a dread. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah. Did you, um, have you read the Harry Potter books? Um, did I? I, I listened to them all on uh, audio. Okay, great. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that quote. Um, to the well-organized mind, death is just the next great adventure. Mm. Uh, which I think Albus Dumbledore says, but I, I think that the the success of that whole story series is that it deals with death so well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Death and love, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and grief. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm going going real <laughs> deep here. <laughs> oh my god, no, it's good All stuff, right. man. That's awesome. What what else? Uh, what else we want to talk about about this movie? We've we've already covered a lot, but well, um, yeah, I mean, we can we can, and you can cut anything like. But as we as we land it. Um, I took a class on the philosophy of death and dying when I was an undergrad. And the whole argument was that if you confront the reality of death, life has more meaning. And it was a class taught for nurses because Mm. they were all going to be dealing with death. Mm. And it was like, let's, let's get ahead of that existential crisis you're going to have when you're first working and, and, and around this all the time. Um, And then it was brilliant. It changed my life. Literally, it fundamentally shifted my life. I later found out the guy who taught it was an Orthodox priest, and of course he Mm. was. Um, And it it made sense. One of my favorite early Christian mystics says, you know, the final enemy to be destroyed is death, but death is destroyed by being made no longer an enemy, Mm. which is wild um, to think about. But I I say all that to say, I remember that conversation led to a, that class led to a bunch of deep conversations I had with my mom. Um where we then got into really, really heavy conversations about the nature of death, which then led her to a point that she ended up uh, sitting with a lot of people in hospice, just kind of mm. in her work as a as a minister. She sat with a lot of people till mm-hmm. they took their last breath. And then when she died, um, I had to make a lot of heavy decisions about her care right. and life support and all that. And I never had to wonder um, what to do because we talked about it so much mm. and that led me to realize how few people actually do have those conversations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, fear of death is a thing. Uh, do you think there's anything else, any other fears that this movie even lightly <clears throat> touches on? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, what, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Just go for it. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, you well, got we talked about in your... racism, which again, probably above, above my pay grade. Um, yeah. but 100%, like having a black protagonist and then, having him go through all these ordeals to survive. And then if you haven't seen the movie, um, you know, he, he survives the night. He's the only character that makes it. And in typical tragic fashion, all the characters make a series of one stupid decision after another, and they all get picked off. Um, and the whole thing, the whole movie, they're having this debate of whether or not they should barricade themselves in the basement, which right. he argues against, but then does kind of do what, he said, which is make the basement his last stand. Correct. Um, yep. Survives the next day, comes out of the basement. And at this point, there's essentially a posse of local lawmen and hunters and whoever else who are just walking around with rifles and dogs. Yeah. Walking across the land, clearing it, killing every ghoul that they see. And they see him moving inside the house and assume he's a zombie and just kill him right. unceremoniously. Yeah. And so the last thing you see is him just like shot. Right. <laughs> um, arguably right between the eyes. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. And it's this kind of, you know, in the original 
script, it sounds like he wasn't a black man, but there's no way you can watch that and not see that as yeah. a, as a commentary on, on how little, um, he's taken seriously and how little regard is given to his life. Totally. Um, so 100% that's in there. Um, I think anytime there's a zombie or there's a ghoul or there's like half dead people wandering around, I think honestly the fear of kind of mindlessness mm, mm-hmm. is really poignant. Yeah. Like, are we all just kind of zombies? Right. Yeah. Like fixing the septic and paying the bills and right. Exactly. Waiting for our stimulus check so we can buy dumb things online to cope with the yeah. monotony of quarantine, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's definitely a thing. I mean, there's, um, I will say that that's one, that's one area where I think my fear of that, of the, of, of mindlessness yeah. at a pretty young age kind of taught me something and steered me in a more enjoyable direction for my yeah. particular life. You know, like I yeah. worked at a insurance company for a number of years and I saw that and it just, whoo, it, yeah. you know, it turned me off so bad. I was like, I can't, like I, I looked at those people and, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone who's working any kind of job that, you know, yeah. pays the bills or does whatever, um, you know, but there was a lot of people there that I saw that were very unhappy and, and like literally would come in, clock in, do what they had to do and go home and just, that was it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I will say that that's like steered me in a particular direction where I was like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to go tour in a band for a couple of years, yeah. you know? And then maybe I'm going to pursue this weird lifestyle of, um, you know, uh, doing freelance work and, and building yep. my own company and kind of, you know, it's, but that brings its own fears, right? Now I have the, like a fear of financial stability and because it's my life is so random and, and, and weird. You know, I don't yeah, have any like uh, uh, stability in that area. But I will say I do think that that's one area where I'm like, yeah, I think for me personally, that was the right choice because I think that yeah. fear of, of just being another cog that's just doing the same thing over and over again, that is real, you know? It really is. And it's so funny to me because like there and, 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 you know, we don't we're obviously not knocking a nine to five. Right. Because no. there's so many ways to live your life. And you and I both have friends who work what I or you might consider to be pretty miserable jobs, but they love it. Exactly. I also have friends that work jobs they don't love, but they take it in stride because they're like, look, this job pays for me to have adventures and do my art and right. and write my own stuff. Or like it's all, you know, how how you concoct the recipe. Right. But um, but I think one of the reasons you've always been on the very, very, very short list of my favorite uh, conversation partners is I've always appreciated how you've kind of, yeah, created your own life and stayed curious. That's the main thing, man. Yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is one of the things I think I, I have so much fun talking with you about stuff is because you are always curious. You right. ask different questions. You're not satisfied with the status quo in fun ways and, and in deep ways. And right. you kind of... Uh, you know, are always interested learning. Um, mm. And that's, I think a lot of people stop, you know, they say yeah. most people never read a book after high school. And, right. and again, that doesn't have to be your thing. There's a lot of other ways to learn now, or they like, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I obviously, I live here in New Mexico. I post a lot of beautiful pictures cause I get up <laughs> in the mountains a lot. And They're I awesome. have a lot of people who are always like, God, I wish I could. Yeah. you know, go on adventures like that. And like, here's the thing. I mean, I get it. It's COVID time. So you got to be careful right now, but like, it's not that hard. No. Like 
find somewhere close to you that is that is naturally beautiful and take a half a day and go, right? Exactly. But I think we just we do get into these kind of ruts. Um and it doesn't occur to us to try something new. And it That's doesn't occur say, to us to it's figure a, out what's life giving. It's a self fulfilling prophecy a lot of times, right? It's yes. a it's a it's a I'm stuck in this rut, I'm never gonna go anywhere. And so that leaves you in an uninspired place. Whereas yep. if you shift your mind a little bit, you know, I know even for me, like, you know, sometimes when I get in like depressive states, um, even like, you know, not deep, dark depression, just like yeah. depressive, like lightly depressive states, I'll be like, why am I in a funk? And it's like, oh, wait, 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 hold on. Just shift your brain a, a hair, look yeah. outside. There's a mountain like five yep. minutes from you. It'll take you 20 minutes to go up there. You can yep. look out from the mountain and that'll be an adventure and that'll shift your mindset a little bit, you know? And you're right. Yeah. It doesn't take much. There's, there's, I, I, I'm convinced after traveling, you know, when I toured, you know, years ago and like just saw the country and I, yep. you know, we've talked about this a thousand times. This is, a, oh, this is one of my things that I've always said. If you're going to say what I think you're going to say, this is my favorite thing you've ever said. And it's probably <laughs> the thing that I quote you the most on and I quote it often. Go ahead. Yeah. So we, you know, we were touring around and I remember going to all these different towns and seeing all these different people. And we, you know, it, it was such a joy to tour and meet people, you know, even yep. though I'm generally speaking an introvert when i'm in certain spaces i love meeting people and talking to people and um i remember i would go around to town and i'd be like oh you know what what do you guys do for fun around here and they'd be like ah nothing yep. you know we just hang out and like literally every town not there no exception like yeah. every single town I was like oh nothing yep. blah, blah 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 and what i realized was it's the same wherever you go yeah. and it's all about making your life enjoyable in the place that you're at, right? Well, right. And there's always something cool, right? You're right. like, what is there cool around here? And people are like, nothing. There's always something cool. Totally. You, you changed my world when you said that right. um, to me the first time. And I was like, man, there is always something cool. And I'll bet there's cool stuff right around me that I've just never bothered to find. There totally is. Dude. Like, even here, like I've lived here my whole life yep. and I'm learning new things. You know, like even Laura and I just went, you know, last, uh, over the summer, last summer, we mm -hmm. went out exploring a little bit and we realized that we are five minutes from like a, a beautiful like area to hike, like by yep. the lake. And it's yep. like, I lived here my entire life, never knew it was there, right? Or um, I, yeah. Not in this town, but like close by, you know? I remember when the first time you took me up to Glen Anoko, mm. which is a, you know, a, a famous, arguably very dangerous uh, trail. Shut down now. Shut down now, right? Um, yeah, because yeah, people kept falling off it. Um, mm. But you took me there and I was like, oh my God, this is... Yeah. less than an hour away from me. It's one of the more beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've lived here my whole life and didn't realize it was here. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, 100% man. When I moved to New York city, when I, when I moved to Santa Barbara, even moving here to New Mexico, it's amazing how many things I've found and done and local people would be like, Oh, I've never done that as a cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Uh, it's right here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I and I think I think it's just about making the time. And you know where it's really, um, <clears throat> really, 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 especially poignant right now. And this might be a, a good way to to land this particular podcast is we are a year mm. into uh, COVID quarantine. We're we're more than a year <laughs> into COVID. We went into quarantine on the thirteenth of March last year. It's the fifteenth today, and I remember. Um, them saying like what i had a friend who i was house sitting for and he was in costa rica so he flew home 
And my boss called me and said, hey, we're trying to limit our exposure to international people. So if you've been around so-and-so, like, don't come back into the office. And I was like, I wasn't around so-and-so, but I do want you to notice that, you know, at work today, I was sitting next to one of our students who's from Australia. And there's Mm. five international students in the intensive that we're holding right now. And there was this kind of like moment where they're like, okay, we need to, we need to pivot quickly. And so we were just a few days ahead of the entire state going into lockdown. And I remember our boss was like, we're going to, we're going to close the office for three weeks and then we'll be back. And so here we are now a year later and some of this has felt like a zombie apocalypse. You don't know who's yeah. infected. You got to wear a mask. You got to be safe everywhere you go. We're, we're in some, especially early on, dear God, man, like you feel like you're boarded up in your house. Right. Um, there's a lot of monotony in it. And so I think this would be a fun question to land on, which is like, what? how have you stayed sane mm. and combated monotony and depression? Like, what do you do to, to make sure you feel alive and healthy for the last year? Dude, that is such a great question, and it's a it's a tough one because I, I was talking to who it doesn't matter. I was talking to somebody on the phone yesterday, and I said that I feel like this last year has been simultaneously the longest year ever, but like the most compressed. Like it just it just every day felt like the same sort of in yep. in a lot of respects. But there was also weird, you know. I feel like there's stages of it that I went through, right? There was like the early, like, okay, this is crazy. We got a lockdown, but I'm going to use this as a great opportunity to get super productive, you know. Yeah. And and I got like I was building stuff and I was making uh, films like or little movie things, um, and I was like playing my music a lot, you know, practicing a lot, and I was doing all this, and then you know, um, and then. I realized that it was going to be more of long term. And yeah. I think, you know, for me, the big thing was I did make it a point to just take stock. I can remember specifically making a post on Instagram, like, I don't know, a month or so in and or maybe it's like even two months in and just kind of taking stock in the fact that, A, I'm very blessed right now because I have a like when I walk out on my porch, I have a beautiful view yeah. and I can enjoy nature, which for me, you know, you and I are very similar in this. Being in nature is one of the like most important things, right? Like just recognizing that and taking that in. Um, So that for me has been like probably the biggest, most important thing has been recognizing that A, I physically live right in nature and it's gorgeous, but also that I can go for a 10 minute drive and I'm on a gorgeous place where I can hike, you know, and see the mountains and see the lake and see the streams and see the waterfalls. Um, So for me, that literally has been my way of coping. And then I, you know, I also have been busy with, my own personal projects, and you know, I, I don't know if you saw my cover set that I recorded a couple like a month ago. No. Oh, you got to see that. I did a, a cover set where I filmed myself five different times in the same room. Oh, that's amazing. Dude, you got to send me a link to that. And that I did awesome. each version, I'm doing a live, so it's the first take of each version of myself. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, dude, it took so much work to rehearse and practice. And but that was another fun project of, for me to like get out of the monotony of it and just do something fun and different, you know, but it is, it is a challenge to like keep yourself focused and to oh say like, I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not yep. going to like fall into yep. this. What about you? Like what, obviously I oh. know that you've been hiking a ton and yeah, like, yeah. the pictures That's, you post are so beautiful. It's yeah. And, and I'll, I'll land on that. That's pretty much how I stay sane. Um, you know, it's funny. Cause like when the, when all of this first got going, 
I was so like I hit it. I was like, I'm gonna do this right. Yeah. Uh, I got lucky in the fact that I that I I'm a dog person. I'm not a cat person, but I decided to experiment with a cat, and I picked my cat up three days before the quarantine, not knowing. <laughs> so he's kept me company. He's been fun because yeah. he has a, a very unique personality. Um, I got involved in a bunch of reading groups. I started mm. a couple Facebook groups. I and that was all so great. And then I hit a wall like yeah. a couple months in because there was a point where it's like, I'm going to read so many books. I'm going to write so much <laughs> stuff. I'm going to. And then, and then there was a point where I, you know, for my job, I spent a lot of time on Zoom. Mm. And I love the fact that I'm in these reading groups. And I love the fact that I have all these friends I'm keeping in touch with. And I love reading. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a lifelong reader. But there was a point where like the work day would end and my eyes were so tired. I was just mm. like, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. I'm, I'm a little bit dyslexic. So like it's yeah. hard. Right. It strains me after a while. I'm like, I literally can't stare at a page and I can't get on Zoom again. And I love all of you, but I just, I can't stare at a computer screen one more time. Right. <laughs> and so um, for me, it's been about finding a balance. That's been the main thing, yeah. like getting in the people that I care about um, and getting in some type of virtual social interaction, but not so much that it actually exhausts me. Right. Uh, and then it's been getting outside a lot constantly. Yeah. I'm lucky mm. in the fact that, you know, I live here in New Mexico right now, but you know, even when I lived in Pennsylvania, if I was home, I'd be snowshoeing, you know, like, right. Right. <laughs> um, I just find f for me, the way I'm wired, I need to get out around nature. So when I run, I run along the river. I don't run through the town cause yeah. that's better for me. And I, right. I bump into porcupines all the time and, and, yeah. uh, and you know, coyotes and whatnot. That's super fun for me. And then every weekend, and this is exactly what I'm going to do as soon as you and I button this up, I make a point to get up on a mountain mm -hmm. and to, you know, take at least a three-hour hike. And there's mm -hmm. something about just getting out in nature and getting way high up that resets my perspective a little bit. I literally get above it all. Yep. Um, and that's what works for me. And that's what I need to do to stay sane. And then the last little bit is I try very hard to laugh at myself. So if I'm getting like frustrated and I'm at the point of like wanting to have a temper tantrum or I'm exhausted or whatever, I I try to have a lot of grace for myself and <laughs> laugh at it and not not ridicule it, but just be like, yeah, look, I'm I'm acting like a little kid or like, right. yeah, I'm I'm I have so many people have this so much worse than I do and I want to yep. stay in touch with that and then I also want to be able to laugh at the fact that I'm like I have got to get out of this house right, and I right. and I and I'm like a movie person and nothing would scare me more right now than sitting in a gross movie theater where I don't know what germs <laughs> are there and at the same time like I'd like nothing more than to go watch a movie on a big screen Ugh. so like it's you know you just yeah. gotta like laugh and roll with that stuff and yeah. this this has been super fun even oh, totally. though it's almost impossible to schedule I have really enjoyed doing this <laughs> with you I hope uh, yeah I really I've enjoyed it and I really hope that we find our rhythm here as far as yeah. scheduling but um, yeah but no, yeah, you're right. This has been a, a joy for me. Like I remember when we did the first episode, like it just was like, ah, oh, that was such a good release, right? Like yeah. it was just something different to break up what yep. we've been going through the past year. Yep. And it was like, I do feel like this is a fun little escape where, cause, cause it is like, we're just talking and that's yeah. great. You yeah, know? man. Like always a good time. It, 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 yeah. It takes me back to, to the old days when you and I would just sit around a fire and, yeah. uh, you know, Which hopefully I'd we smoke can get a cigar this year. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, buddy. I'll let you pick the next movie. Maybe something lighter. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to think about that. I do think maybe I, I was thinking maybe it might be time to like uh, bring a guest in. 
Oh, that'd so be I was fun. thinking yeah, maybe let's do we that. would do that one. That, I don't want to spoil it right now, but the one that we had talked about with doing with Tom. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Which is, you know, obviously a heavy movie, but not in the same way, I don't think. Um, no. But uh, so anyway, I don't know. We'll, 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 let me let me think about it, but let's try to get right. something on the books in the next like week or a couple weeks. Right. You know what I mean? Well, Faster than this uh, one. Yeah, man. Thanks. This has been fun. And thanks, listeners, uh, if we have any. <laughs> I yeah. highly recommend checking out, even if we've, we've spoiled it for you, I still highly recommend checking out uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original black and white. You can find the entire movie on YouTube, so you mm-hmm. definitely don't have to pay for it. Um, and yeah, man, get outside. And, and I think we're all a little more in touch with our mortality this year than we ever have been because of the virus. Um, so, you know, find a way to keep on living your life. Totally. And, uh, do us a favor. Uh, we finally got all of our, uh, the podcast is now on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. So do us a favor and give us a subscribe if you can. And uh, review if you feel like it. That would be cool, I guess. Who knows where this is going to go, but I guess that's what we're supposed to say. So Yeah, uh, we definitely won't fill your inbox up <laughs> at the rate no. that we're recording these. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. This is Cinemartyr. We'll uh, see you next time. Mm-hmm.